This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Derek Kaufman is constantly scanning future trends in vehicle design and aftermarket challenges, including how recent events in electric vehicles are affecting our near-term and longer-term futures. From the Aftermarket Radio Network, Carm Capriato here. Glad to have you by. Now, this is your podcast resource, very committed to bringing the future and forward-looking information that you can use to inform and map your road ahead. Thanks to our partners, Apex and Shopware, for providing you this episode. Imagine walking into a simulated real-world shop environment with 10 service bays, lifts, and vehicles where you can see product demos and talk capabilities, benefits, and how to use it all in real time. Well, welcome to Joe's Garage at Apex 2022, November 1st through the 3rd in Las Vegas. To register, visit aapexshow.com slash register. You know, checking your balance when you close is a pain unless you've got end-of-day payments from Shopware. It tallies up all transactions and puts your mind at ease when you see your daily snapshot. Talk to my friends at GetShopware.com. Hey, honored, so honored to have Derek Kaufman, managing partner at Schwartz Advisors, LLC, who does mergers and acquisitions. Hello, Derek. Carm, how are you? I am great. Thank you so much for bringing your wisdom uh, impressive background, entrepreneur, founded C3 Network, LLC in 97 to help clients launch new products in the transportation industry. His impressive resume includes um, Freightliner trucks, Hino trucks, subsidiary of Penske, Smart USA Emission Motors, and you serve on the, the boards of several companies. And speaker, and I saw you speak in New York just before COVID, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the it was the last day of COVID uh, or pre-COVID in New York. We we got the day out the day before. <laughs> it, it was amazing how we were sitting on that uh, that stack of dynamite there. But look, at, it's always good to check in with Derek, who constantly scans future trends. He is, if you will, my EV go-to guy in vehicle design aftermarket challenges to see what he's up to what your think is in 2022 and how you see some recent events going on with uh, EV drive cars affecting our near-term and long-term. All I seem to talk about with people is, okay, it's here. We're needing to listen and accept it like all the technology changes, but let's talk about the year two or three down the road. I think those are the kind of challenges. So let's jump right in and ask about your update on the battery vehicle adoption. What's going on? Well, great, Carmen. It is always good to be with you. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, obviously we see consumer demand increasing. I think BEVs are running around 5.6% of new car sales uh, in the second quarter of, of 2022. And this time last year, uh, it was more like 2.7, it was under 3%. So, uh, you know, there's, there's no doubt that all of the headlines and everything are, are driving demand for the vehicles. That said, I, I think there are some headwinds in the, in the second half of this year that will slow the growth of BEVs, you know, at least uh, through the balance of uh, 2022, maybe into uh, 2023. So are we talking headwinds in the economy or headwinds with BEV production? I think the answer has to be both <laughs> to that. I believe so, yeah. 
Yeah. So I had a, you know, a laugh a couple of weeks ago uh, when President Biden and Vice President Harris came out on the stage and they both had great news for the American people. They said inflation is now zero percent. And, you know, President Biden said it first. And I thought, oh, OK, maybe, you know, it's one of his teleprompter issues. Maybe it's, you know, skipped a few words. But but then Vice President Harris came to the point right after him and said the exact same thing, that inflation is now zero percent. And I'm I'm kind of scratching my head. And I said, no, inflation is like eight point five percent. The growth of it might be zero percent from month to month you know it was maybe it was a peak of uh, 9.1 and you know it's down a little bit off that but i don't know about you i mean i i go to lunch with with my wife here recently and you know the same restaurant we go to all the time that was always kind of 15 dollars out the door for the two of us is now like 25 or 30 dollars out the door and you know the, the fact is that everyone both at the retail level and the wholesale level is really feeling these kinds of increases and i think that's going to slow our economy in the second half of 2022 and into 2023. So the number one headwind, I, I, would, I would say, is the coming recession. I got to confirm what you just said about the restaurant. Ann and I went out, chicken Caesar salad, two of them, identical. She had a glass of wine. I had a glass of beer with tipped $60. <laughs> but, Derek, the service was fantastic. I've never had a chicken Caesar salad as good. It was the dressing. The chicken was right. And I, as much as I signed the bill and I put the tip on it, that included the tip, by the way, I was okay with it. I was still shocked about it. And, you know, I, I, I do send some of these board meetings and just hear about the material cost increases the companies are suffering. So there's no doubt that that's, uh, you know, that's a headwind now. But I think when you think about BEVs, the number two thing that I would bring up would be just the price of battery materials and kind of the broken supply chain that uh, we're dealing with right now. China controls 60 to 80 percent of the powders associated with battery anodes and cathodes, uh, and they, they control a very high percentage of the lithium uh, supply. We want less expensive cars, and I'll, I'll talk about that, I'm sure, here coming up, but uh, as we, we think about less expensive lithium-ion phosphate batteries, well, China controls 100% of that supply. So as the OEMs try to ramp up these BEV production lines, uh, they're beholden to the Chinese for the next several years. They cannot build their own supply chains outside of China supply, you know, that quickly. So that's a headwind. And then finally, there's, there's, a, there's a third headwind. Uh, and I, I think it's kind of the smoke and the mirrors of, of the Inflation Reduction Act that was just passed. I mean, if you read the details of what cars and, and what buyers actually qualify for the $7,500 tax credits there, I'd say that fully 80 to 90 percent of EV cars for the next two to three years at least will not qualify for those credits. Question, does it take years to put up a lithium plant? I, I thought they may have discovered it, uh, a big lithium bed in Nevada. Well, there, there's no doubt. You see people now, you know, looking at lithium supply, getting their ducks in a row, and, and everybody's doing it. Everybody's trying to do it as close to the assembly plants as possible because you don't want to be shipping lithium batteries all over the world. So the supply chain from China in this case is not necessarily a good thing, but it's it's like you say, it's not an overnight uh, situation. So if the battery is a large part of that vehicle and it doesn't come from the U.S., then that, that that vehicle wouldn't qualify so many years down the road. Am I right? 
there's like four or five different things uh, in this bill, traps you have to run through in order to qualify. So the one first thing is that it only applies to BEV cars that are under $55,000. And that can sound reasonable, I guess. But when you consider that the average non-electric car in the United States right now is like $48,000, you can see that the vast majority of BEVs are going to be over and are over the $55,000 mark. And the, the number two thing is that it only applies to people who are making less than a certain amount of money. So if you're single, you have to make less than $155,000 a year and married under $300,000. Now, okay, that sounds fine too, because most people are, are below those numbers. But uh, if you are, then, you know, chances are you can't afford a $48,000 car, depending on how far under it you are, uh, let alone the most expensive BEV. The other thing you just mentioned it was is is the content. Here's where I think that the you know the congressional staffers are really kind of working overtime. So vehicle content restrictions apply. So if batteries are made in China or content like nickel is from Russia, you know, the cars don't qualify. Well, China's CATL battery company is the largest in the in the world. They they supply Tesla some of their batteries, uh, and they supply virtually a hundred percent of the LFP, the lithium ion phosphate batteries. Uh, Ford even announced they're going to use CATL batteries for their pickup. So those those vehicles likely won't qualify because what they're calling for is forty percent U.S. content by twenty twenty three. And then I read the bill and I, I had to read this two or three times. It says 50% in 2024, 60% in 2025, 70% in 2026, on up to 80% of the car has to be U.S. content by 2027 to qualify. What car company in the world can change in 10% jumps year over year the content of their car? In so, five years, yeah. Yeah, I wish that, you know, the, the product designers and the supply chain specialists, good luck uh, in trying to do that. It's, it's just, you know, it's kind of absolutely crazy. And it's a shame because you prop the American people up for, for you know, the expectation of these credits. And then you pull the rug out from under them when they realize the details. Didn't you tell me the sticker on the car is going to wrap around it to show where all the content's coming from? <laughs> Yeah, the uh, called a, a Monroney label, right? Uh, it's just the sticker in your car. I mean, just think about uh, you know the amount of content uh, uh, that will have to you know to let you know. So, yeah, it's problematic. We'll see how it unfolds. You know, the government, didn't, I guess, want to mandate a certain percentage of BEV cars, so they're using this incentive uh, and and fuel prices. Uh, to incentivize us. And, you know, we'll see how it turns out. I have not personally read the proof of what I'm about ready to say next, but you probably sure know there's a $7,500 tax credit in this bill. I mean, I'd love to know, in your opinion, is it a tailwind or a headwind? But I heard that Ford and GM raised the prices on their cars when that was announced. Is that true? Yeah, uh, they they have. Uh, and the reason they're doing it comes back to my, my original statement is is that they're beholden on the Chinese uh, on on materials here. Uh, so they're over a barrel as to their sourcing and they can't change that uh, very quickly. I don't know that the price increase was based on them looking at the credit. I, I would I more guess uh, that it's supply chain issues and just the, the inflation of the cost of materials coming to them. Hey, Carm here. Now, when it comes to technical and management training, nothing beats the caliber of classes and expert trainers that Apex puts together for Repair Shop HQ. 
And that's because a panel of shop owners selects the best training that will drive your business forward. Training is geared toward shop owners, service advisors, and technicians. Technical classes will include ADAS and calibrations, hybrid and electrical vehicle case studies, CAN bus diagnostics, electrical diagnosis, and using current probes to diagnose drivability dilemmas. On the management side, you'll learn marketing strategies that work, employee retention practices, building a culture that employees will embrace, and more. Expert trainers in this year's lineup include Mike Reynolds, John Thornton, Eric Ziegler, Greg Bunch, Bill Haas, and Kim and Brian Walker. Repair Shop HQ training will take place at Apex November 1st through the 3rd in Las Vegas. To learn more, go to aapexshow.com slash training. You know, nothing tells a customer they need a new part faster than when they see a worn or broken one in their hands. Now, how do you do that in the digital age? Well, it's actually very easy. Thanks to DVX, you can send photos and videos within its messenger platform. It's like nothing else you've ever seen in an auto repair SMS before. Take the best of an Amazon-like experience and use it in your shop to show customers how great you are. DVX also makes it easy for customers to drop you a quick text or answer in the messenger bubble that arises from the repair order. It's like magic. Customers love seeing what they need to do and giving you a quick answer. You'll see your business's potential right in front of you. Your customers get on with their day, and you get back to the repair. Everybody wins. It's time. Take it from me, GetShopware.com. What other trends are you keeping an eye on? Yeah, you know, beyond the BEVs, which obviously takes a lot of our time, one of the things we're really excited about uh, is kind of an, a new emerging vehicle segment, we believe. And we're calling it the AVNEV because we love acronyms, but AVNEV simply stands for Autonomous Neighborhood Electric Vehicles. Now, these are package delivery pods. They're traveling in dedicated lanes in urban centers, uh, probably less than 30 miles an hour. If you think about the e-commerce kind of explosion here over the last few years and everything being delivered to our homes, well, the, the, the increase in delivery vans has been really significant. So we simply have too many Amazon Prime and FedEx and UPS trucks, you know, double parked in our cities now. So our thought is that this new vehicle segment comes up to replace some of those. You've seen the Neuro TV ads, uh, you know, delivering Domino's pizzas, right? So we're, we're actually following about 30 companies that bring these kinds of vehicles, will bring these kinds of vehicles to uh, the package delivery space. So you might know about uh, GM's Bright Drop. Uh, that is a new division of GM. Uh, they, they've developed a human-guided motorized pod that we believe will turn into a fully autonomous pod. And it's pretty cool. It's in the, it's in the warehouse, um, six, six of them or so. Uh, stack up inside an electric drive van that then drives into uh, urban center, into city center, uh, and then the pods come out and and deliver things, uh, you know, to your to your door. So, all kinds of logistical questions, obviously, but we really think we're going to see a few million of these pods, uh, you know, on the streets. And the interesting thing about these is, you know, they're vehicles. So they're, they're going to create a new parts and service business. They have tires and suspensions and lighting and ADOS sensors on them. They're going to need to be cleaned and checked and certified for, for operations. So our question is for the auto aftermarket is, are the companies that are making these pods, 
going to invest in the infrastructure to service them? Or are they going to depend on the auto, automotive aftermarket, you know, to supply the necessary parts and service? And I, I'll tell you is, unfortunately, my bet is that they're going to invest in their own centralized service locations, but it doesn't need to be that way. You know, if the auto aftermarket can kind of unify an effort, and I don't know if that's multi you know, shop operators or 20 groups of independent shop owners or dealerships. I don't know who it is, but if, if we can be proactive and go to these companies now and say, look, we have shops uh, that are, you know, right in front of your, your pods running by us. You don't need to send those back to some central service location. We'll keep your uptime higher uh, by dedicating bays to the, you know, to the service and checking of these things. Yeah, I believe that that can absolutely happen. You need to be proactive. Uh, I, I don't think these companies right now, I think they're all concerned about their technology. I don't think they're thinking you know, forward to what parts and service channels are going to make their, their vehicles you know, stay on the road. So a, a quick story on this. Zipcar uh, actually formed, I think, yeah, back in 2000, so 22 years ago. Uh, and there were three people that formed this company out in Massachusetts, and they put fleets on college campuses and then into urban centers. Uh, and Zipcar really took off. It was a very successful shared fleet model. But the interesting thing was they had the foresight to have those cars serviced by a combination of dealerships and independent shops. But then the partners that had Zipcar kind of had a falling out uh, inside the company, and they decided to sell out in about 2013, they sold the company to Avis. And what did Avis do as soon as they bought that company? They moved all the service back to their airport service hubs. So now they're hiking cars all over town and losing revenue generating miles and scratching their heads on why the business models don't work very well. So that's the power, I think, of the independent aftermarket. But our weakness is being proactive and unified enough to affect the necessary change fast enough. So we'll see, you know, if this NEV segment relies on our parts and service channels uh, going forward. The power of networking, the power of belonging, association membership, ear to the ground. And to your point, if those vehicles, you know, can be serviced in the areas they're assigned to instead of if you, as you say, going back, let, let's send these vehicles back 25 miles to the depot where they could stay and be productive. It's, oh, hey, would you put on an overnight uh, staff to keep these vehicles in service? Yes, sir, I'll have another. And, you know, how many ca- vehicles can I service? Uh, you know, you, you could have 30 of them that are in this particular city or region. Again, I think you have to be a member of an organization. They want to do business with one person, if you will, even though there's 10 or 15 independents involved in it. Brilliant stuff. I, I love your think. And again, it goes back to us being smart, open, and flexible as the future unfolds. Absolutely. And let me, let me bring the flexibility thing in here for, for a second, because there's another uh, another whole category that I, I think requires a new parts and service channel. doesn't have to be vehicles. It happens to be BEV chargers. This is driving me crazy. I mean, there, there are about 20 to 30%, and these, these are some you know stats that change all the time though, but I'm reading that 20 to 30% of the chargers out there are down at any given time. And if you've depleted your BEV to you know five or 10% of its battery capacity, and you're kind of now in desperate need of a charge to continue your, your journey, and you get up to that charger and it isn't working, that's the definition of a, a bad day. 
So I, I think we've got something like 120, 122,000 is the number that sticks in my head. Uh, num- number of ports, charging ports out there, and a charger can have more than one port. And the federal government is putting in $5 billion to bring that up to 500,000 chargers. But if we're going to hit the EV numbers that we're talking about, we need kind of 2 million chargers out there. What I'm concerned about is who is going to service those. So ChargePoint is the largest in- installer right now. And they've, they've stated that, that you can read about this on the Internet, that that. Uh, the municipalities and the commercial charger locations will buy these things with availability guarantees. So they'll have service contracts on them. In fact, ChargePoint, I think, expects to to make as much on service contracts as they do actually selling chargers themselves. They have a program called Assure uh, that keeps those chargers running. But I believe what they're doing is they're signing up or kind of deputizing electricians because they see their chargers as part of the electrical grid. At Ford's Advisors, we see those chargers as part of the auto aftermarket. They're connected to our cars. And the auto aftermarket has a parts and service, you know, channel system that is perfect for servicing those chargers. Uh, so my, my point is, we are the people uh, that ought to be out, uh, char- you know, servicing charge points, chargers, and, and, and everyone else. So just like the NEV pods, I think the auto motive aftermarket parts and service community ought to be negotiating right now with charger suppliers to keep their equipment up and running. Think about it this way. Uh, If you have a shop with a charger out front or a dealership, say, uh, and that charger is down, whose reputation takes a hit uh, when a car comes up and, and it doesn't work? It's not the charger company necessarily. It's your establishment that takes the hit. So it's kind of in your best interest, you know, to keep them up and running. Derek, you don't envision that uh, our typical gas station today would have a row of EV chargers. I asked that question and I almost have my own answer. And my own answer is they're not in the right place where I'm going to leave my car for a while. So what do you envision seeing uh, parking lots of businesses and of malls, as an example, would have these stations? This is a whole other podcast that you and I can do <laughs> uh, because well, this is a this is a big topic. People like RideCell, you know, Cox Automotive invested in RideCell, and there's another company called Vulog in Toronto. Uh, these are the companies that do the software behind the mobility of shared vehicles, of e-bikes, and all these things. And what they're talking about for the future is that gas stations uh, and yeah, I think by the Auto Care Association's count, there's something like 107,000 gas stations is the number that sticks in my head. But what they're saying is these things in the future become mobility hubs. Uh, so you have fueling for uh, internal combustion engines. You have fat, super fast charging. And we're not talking about a car sitting for hours. We're talking about a car sitting for 10 minutes to 15 minutes to, to do a fast charge. You might have battery swapping. There are several companies talking about a three-minute swap of a battery uh, in a vehicle as the solution. Neo in China has almost a thousand swapping stations running. They do three hundred and twelve swaps a day per station. You know, gas stations are going to go through a, a transformation, and you're right. It, it's all about location, location, location on where those mobility hubs ought to be. So some stations will probably disappear, but others are going to thrive and expand. Uh, so I think that's that's an interesting thing to watch. And like I say, that's a whole other podcast. 
no matter how you think about it, when you plug in at a charging station, you got to swipe your credit card. And no matter what the cost per mile electrically is, I imagine if you take in and out a battery, you're talking cores, labor. I mean, man, it's got to cost a little bit of money. So Neo uh, has this, CATL is looking at it, uh, a company in uh, California called Ample uh, has a battery swapping technology. And their thesis is this, you don't buy the battery in the car, you buy the car uh, and you either subscribe to the, you know, to the battery uh, or you pay on it per swap. The idea is that you have a lower entry into the purchase of the car itself. You're only paying for battery as you, you know, drive the miles on the car. And when you go to trade that car in, the battery that comes with the car for the second owner is a brand new battery because it's always a brand new battery. And the, the really interesting thing is that battery form factor is a rectangular brick. Uh, so it's the same from car to car. So if you can imagine, these cars come into the battery swap station that has dozens of these batteries stacked up and are charging. A robot comes underneath your car, pulls the battery out of it, puts a new battery in, you're out of the station like a car wash in three minutes. In the 900 to 1,000 uh, swap stations in China operating. Uh, they want to have a thousand in Europe operating by 2025. And believe it or not, uh, this is Neo, I'm sorry. Shell Oil uh, is supporting the installation of the swap stations in Europe. So go figure. I find it fascinating to uh, see uh, some Buck Rogers stuff going on here. And, and then I think about uh, your phone rings and it says, uh, we've lost connectivity to your battery. And so you have to re-sign onto your app and reset your password. <laughs> you know, you pull the plug out, you plug your car back in. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about the ramp up of EV cars. I know you keep running a forecast on how battery electric vehicles are entering the market. And I know you look out a whole bunch of years. Uh, what does your latest forecast say? We're at 5.6% of sales right now uh, coming through the half point of the year, but we think that that's going to slack off a little bit because of these headwinds in the second half. So we think we're going to be around 5% share, but we believe that grows to about 20% of new car sales in 2030 and 35% in 2035. And then by 2050, uh, we're up to about 50%. Now, that's the Schwartz Advisors forecast. I'll tell you that there are others out there that are way more bullish uh, than that. They have them you know, ramping much quicker. We see a lot of new BEV models for sure. Uh, I'm probably most excited about what I see Hyundai and, and Kia doing in electric drive. If you take a look at the Hyundai Ioniq and the, the Kia EV5 and 6, they're going to give Tesla a run for the money. In fact, in, in my opinion, they're making Tesla cars look a little dated now in their in their styling. So the Korean brands are going to come on strong here. We think about new car sales, but the aftermarket really thinks in terms of VIO. So only 0.8% of the VIO right now uh, is BEV, about 2.4 million cars out there. And remember, you, you know, you always need to check on what cars are included. Uh, so we, we look at pure BEVs when we're talking about that, not plug-in hybrids or anything else, right? So we're 0.8%. That grows to about 6% in 2030, 12% doubles again in 2035. And by 2050, uh, we're at 41% of the VIO being BEVs. Now, if you're California, 
uh, or maybe a West Coast location, maybe in the Northeast, you got to double or triple these ramps. So you'll be at much higher percentages of new car sales and, and VIO, you know, going forward. So shops in the California area, uh, I mean, California's already seen, uh, I think 12.6% of cars uh, being sold, you know, being BEVs. So then, you know, the other thing that we have to dial in here is autonomous. And so we think it starts with the NEV pods in the 2020s and 2030s, you know, by, by 2050, you know, that, that thing is running pretty strongly that AVs come up, they're BEV cars, sorry for all the acronyms here, and they, they just add to it. They really ramp between 2040 and 2050. So that vehicle shows up, the pods come out, they do their delivery. Who takes the package to the door? Basically, on, on the dedicated lanes, what they'll have is they'll have pickup centers. So you, they have people. Remember, now we're talking about package delivery in urban centers. You'll get a, a, a notice on your phone and you'll come out to meet the, the machine. So the, the, the thing that might change. So, you know, it seems to me I have an Amazon Prime truck uh, show up every day here. I got to talk to my wife about that. But <laughs> they walk from the van to the, you know, to the house about 20 or 30 percent of the time if i'm around i walk to them uh and i think they appreciate the fact that they don't have to get out of the van i i i, I won't have a big problem walking from my house to that uh, and some of these nevs uh, are really interesting because they have accordion sliders uh, that slide horizontally and vertically so they only open the niche that is your package it's very very interesting to watch i'd love to see the technology behind that well let's go back to this whole thing that we seem to have all earned our living on, and that is the internal combustion engine. Based on the predictions that you see and may become reality, we still got a future working on these cars. I absolutely think so. It's going to be tough. Don't get me wrong. I see what's happening in Europe. You do too. They're talking about eliminating ICE sales by 2035 and actually taking ICE cars off the road by, by 2040. But I also see Germany having brownouts now and the natural gas situation in Europe is, you know, with the jeopardy of, you know, in Russia, uh, continues to in its invasion of Ukraine. Uh, so I think things are a mess right now. And I understand that federal governments can mandate things. Uh, and I fully expect the U.S. government to push gas prices beyond the five and six dollar uh, rate to incentivize people. But I, I know there's engine development going on. I know like Skyactiv-X X and these types of engines are super clean. I know mild hybrid cars are coming. So we just believe that there is a mix of BEVs and ICE going forward. And we get all the way to 2050. TIO is about 50-50 ICE to uh, BEV, so plenty of things to, to service. How will it pan out? You know, take a look at what's going to happen now uh, in the midterm elections. I mean, if the Democrats hold both houses, uh, I think uh, you're going to see gas go down before this, a uh, price go down. Uh, and if they hold both houses, I think it goes right back up because I believe that the main incentive to go to uh, BEVs from the U.S. government in this administration is gas prices, not not uh, not credits. If the Republicans flip the House, at least the House, uh, I'd say that we're going to see a more moderate look. But, yeah, engines and BEVs are going to coexist uh, and the diesel pickup truck in the middle of Texas will never die. You know, here I'm listening to you. And I wrote down the words, cash for clunkers. I lived through that. You did too. There's a whole bunch of young people that didn't, maybe don't even know what it is. But the government stepped up and says, listen, give me your tired and your poor. I, wanna, I want you to get something newer and different. 
You talk about pressures on economy, inflation, deficit. It's almost like, in my opinion, the government has taken this wet rag and wrung it a little bit, okay? Not, not the whole way. And is setting the tone. Just let us have normal lives, live, build a great economy, keep everyone gainfully employed while we move toward wherever we're going. Let nature find a way. We can absolutely move in the in the right direction here. Uh, bring you know increase new gen nuclear as a power supply and and kind of take the politics out of the, uh, the the climate situation and agree that yes the, the climate needs to be protected uh, and we, we need to do things here, but do it in a stair step fashion. Uh, it would be much better. I'll tell you what I was I was at Penske Automotive in, in, with uh, the smart car uh, when cash flow conquerors uh, came through. It absolutely broke my heart to to see perfectly serviceable cars that were affordable for a lot of people, lower income people in this country, be taken off the road. I can't remember if it was 600,000 or 900,000. Between those two numbers were taken off the road at some $3 billion cost to taxpayers. And all it did was deprive people of, of highly serviceable cars. We had to take those cars in and brick the engines, uh, you know, make sure they could not run. Uh, and it just, it, it was the stupidest thing uh, I think I've, I've seen in my working career. And, it, and the reason was so we could, we could be seen taking gas guzzlers uh, off the road. And, and all we did was, was hurt the uh, lower and the middle class. Romance me into wanting to get an EV. Don't tell me and force me and raise my prices and make it all so difficult, but romance me. And I'm not saying that there's an incentive to, to buy, but when it's ready, when we're really ready, then romance me. Put the technology and the styling and all that stuff in it so that I'd want my, my next purchase at whatever date down the road. I will highly consider an EV if I think it's right for me. Don't push me. There's actually a lot to love with an electric drive car, it frees the designers of where things are placed in the vehicle. You don't have a drive shaft. You don't have a gas line, you know, coming from a tank. Uh, so you might've seen the Audi car that actually changes uh, its, uh, its wheelbase. If you want a sports car, it, it contracts about 10 inches. If you want to put it in AV mode, it expands for a better ride. I mean, those are the types of things you can do with, with BEVs. So I, I think there is, Absolutely. I mean, the performance of them is is great. I believe that batteries will end up being 500 mile range devices. I think they'll charge in 10 minutes. I think they'll come down in cost. So they will come up to, you know, to parity uh, with ownership cost of internal combustion engines. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot to love about them. I, I really do. Uh, but I think that uh, ha having the government, uh, instead of consumer demand, be the key driver, uh, makes you do things that are, are not that smart, uh, on your way to, you know, the conversion. So that, that would be my concern. I love listening to you. What a great podcast. Thank you so much. Derek Kaufman, managing partner, Schwartz Advisors, LLC, does mergers and acquisitions. And Derek's job is to keep an eye on the future. Always watching. <laughs> Always. Oh, my God. So thank you for being here. A ton of intelligent nuggets here for all of us to chew on and to, you know, you're not going to go out and change your life and how you run your business. But 
uh, training for electric vehicles and hybrids, marketing for it, telling the people that do have them that you can fix and or repair them. There's going to be so many new car companies that don't have dealerships that we're going to have to step to the plate. If they're wise, get us to partner with them so that we can keep these future cars and or trucks on the road. God, Derek, thank you so much for this. Karma, I always enjoy it. See you next time. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 